What's up, everybody? Hello. We're coming in hot for another Rotten Peaches episode. What's your name, my good ma'am? Oh my god, I'm Karina. What's your name? I'm Lily. Hello. Dude, nice to meet you. I'm so excited to do this podcast with you. (laughs) Yo, we're coming in really hot on this episode. Like, like too many thoughts, no no, vibes. No vibes. None. (laughs) (laughs) We've been wanting to do this movie since the moment that we started the podcast. And so I'm so excited that we're finally getting to jump in on this one. This movie is crazy. What movie are we doing? Dude, we're doing Promising Young Woman. Oh my god, there's... 2020, our most recent movie, a freaking Oscar nomination for 2021. Yes, multiple nominations right. that it has. Oh my god, you have... To, it's, a, it's a must watch this year. You have Definitely. to watch it. Yeah, actually, if you want, because there's so many spoilers that we're about to talk about... Maybe go and watch the movie on your own and jump back into this podcast. Yes, so stick around for a second. We're going to give you a quick little overview yes. with no spoilers at all mm-hmm. that, that so you guys can hear it and then walk away, listen, and come back. We'll tell you when to do that, but be ready. Also, real quick before we get started, uh, we we do want to throw in some trigger warnings for everybody. Heavy trigger warnings. Yes, very intense ones. We will be talking about rape, rape culture, sexual assault. Yes. There's going to be violence. So please, everybody, if you're going to continue, just be wary of those trigger warnings. Yep. So, yes. Oh, and before we continue, I got to give two dad shout outs. We have shout outs this episode. <laughs> Last episode, I said that only dads have to listen to the next episode. And oh my God, we had to. Shout out to Danny. Yes. And shout out to Elliot, my buddy, aka Smelliot, for being a dad and listening and loving yes, the pod. Those dads, listen to us. Thank you so much. And if you're a dad and you listen to us, let us know. Comment on our Instagram. <laughs> tell Email us how many us. kids you have. Yes, tell us about <laughs> yourself. We we love dads. We're a dad welcoming dad friendly zone. Yes. Pod. Yes. Okay, spoiler free synopsis. Basically, a, prom- a promising young woman follows Cassie. She is a protagonist who is coping with the wake of a traumatic event and the loss of her best friend nina basically cassie goes to bars and pretends to be drunk kind of preying on the quote nice guys who kind of pretend to help her (laughs) and they have underlining motivations yes basically and that's as much as we're gonna just give you guys right now cap it there because this movie relies heavily on like twists and turns and like that's big time best way to enjoy this movie so we don't want to spoil it anymore Mm -hmm. so if you haven't seen it yet and you want to see it cut the camera's dead ass right right now (laughs) stop it right now go watch it and then come back yes so but for everybody else who's who's stuck along with us and if you've already seen the movie or you want to hear us talk about a little more um this film is really cool because it has not only her directorial debut she's also the writer for this movie um Emerald Fennell, who also brought on Margot Robbie as a producer for this film. Yes, and so obviously we, we, all know, we all know Margot Robbie, but Emerald Fennell is an actor and writer, for those of you who don't know, and she is best known for um, showrunning Killing Eve Season 2. Nice. So I thought that was really freaking amazing, and honestly, for this being her directorial debut, she did amazing. Right. She killed it out of the ballpark. And so up top, um, Cassie, who is our, our protagonist here, is uh, played by Carrie Mulligan. Dude, we got a brunette, Jennifer Coolidge, as the mom. And I freaking love Jennifer okay, Coolidge. The supporting cast in this movie is amazing, but Jennifer Coolidge in this role specifically 
is who is she honestly i i saw her <laughs> and i was just like ma'am i don't understand what you're doing but i love it okay i was kind of like this is jennifer coolidge who took some zequel and i'm like where are you because i was kind of wanting what i love from all her films but we also have bo burnham in this who is a comedian i don't know if you yes yes he loves he's best known for his comedy special i only know that because of my research i do not actually <laughs> okay. know who this he's is. cool he's cool we got allison brie um Liver and cox is in this which is cool also mm-hmm. yes we she is she i like the role that they gave her in this i feel like she is one of the only women that our protagonist interacts with which i thought was really interesting she's a little the her writing is a little corny sometimes to me where i'm like okay but i'm glad she's in it Mm -hmm. so should we jump in big time jump yes there's many more names in this uh cast (laughs) but there i think we're gonna wait until certain characters pop up Mm -hmm. to specifically talk about them because the casting choices are very interesting yes so but you gotta get a little backstory first to understand why they're interesting definitely kind of all over the map and unexpected with this film so where we're jumping in the deep end yes um this... now now for real for real the spoilers are here so walk away if you haven't <laughs> tune out <laughs> um but this movie does a really good in tra- like tackling uh, a modern day revenge story but still facing like age-old societal issues yes so like the first 15 minutes number one we're hit with major dad but solid like <laughs> two and a half minutes of just dad uh, dad bod's body rolling yeah. in the middle of a dance floor <laughs> yeah. it was a lot i've had to put on my sunglasses for that part <laughs> <laughs> but so let's talk about literally the first i don't even like the first 15 20 minutes it, it's for me very overwhelming yes so like I- the the literal opening line that we get is a man sam richardson who mm-hmm. plays paul in this movie saying like that fucking bitch or she's she's being a bitch or some shit like that like she it's just so a a very aggressive sentence towards a woman right and we find out within the within two seconds that they're talking about a co-worker and they're upset these three men are upset because uh they can't take customers to strip clubs anymore which i thought is like really weird yeah that's some madman shit yeah it's like what is is this the 80s (laughs) uh yeah it just you're overwhelmed with dialogue that like i think a lot of viewers could easily brush off of like oh they're playing it up too much the the way that they're having the men speak but they i mean all of the conversations that these men are having in the beginning are all things we've all overheard other people say yes and ultimately this conversation is just two uh, three men upset because their workplace has changed to Mm -hmm. accommodate to women which is a very realistic approach that men took Right. And are still taking when faced with the the fact that their way of maneuvering the workplace isn't inclusive. Right. Uh, automatically, like, we're stepping into the role of, like, an entitled dude in a higher-ranking position at work and then immediately talking about women in a very objectifying way. And, Lily, you brought up a really good point about the way that the camera even is showing us in the club instead of panning women's bodies along the dance floor we're getting men's bodies and we're listening to whatever poppy club song is playing so it feels very familiar to a movie that we've probably seen before just shot in a different way yes and this is a very good way to show how this movie is kind of it 
twists and the twists and the turns and how it jerks you around like mm. you're expecting one thing and something very different happens which is something i love about it yeah. and you almost have to watch this movie with like two different sets of eyes like one that's obviously following the story and the narrative but then like picking up on all those little things that you're just like wait a minute that's that's sneaky the way that they wrote that in there Okay, and after we see those guys, that's when we're first introduced to the main character, Cassie. We Cassie. see her drunk, slumping on like a weird little corner of the bar all she, by her yeah, lonesome. Yeah, she's isolated and very much like the camera does a good job in making her the focal point of that scene. Yes. She's got no homies around her. And these three men look at her and are kind of like, basic, first thing you say, you mm-hmm. hear again from the character Paul is that she is asking for it. Right. Oh. Actually, Lily... They go in and say, oh, is she okay? Oh, is she... Like, they, they're dipping their toe into, like, cold water and seeing how far they can go in that of, like, oh, is she okay? Oh, she's alone. Oh, she's really beautiful. Oh, she's asking for it. Oh, she... Like, they're kind of, like, qualifying, qualifying it to themselves of, like, when am I allowed to get away with her? Right. And... Okay, so this is the first thing that this movie does that I think is very interesting, right? So obviously, we were, the three men, two of the men are very, being very obvious of the fact that they could easily take advantage of this woman, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the nice guy out of the group kind of being like, no, I'm not like that. Like, I'm just going to go make sure she's okay. Walk right. over. Are you okay? Ultimately, she can't find her phone. So he's like, I- I'll help you out. I will yes, take you. I'm your savior. So she, he takes her. They're in the cab. And halfway through, they're like, you know what? My apartment's right near here. Let's just go there instead. How convenient. (laughs) And then he gives her more booze. Oh, yeah. In this scene, he fills up her glass way full to the, almost to the brim. And he barely pours himself. Oh, I didn't even see that. Where I'm just like, you fool. Like, ugh. That's why I said like the first 15 minutes, I was like, I don't even want to watch this anymore because I'm already heated. (laughs) Okay. So then from there, she is visibly falling asleep very fucked up she's like i need to go lay down yeah she said gives him a warning of like this isn't gonna pan out how you think it is yeah she's like i'm very tired i need i well she's very fucked up she needs to go lay down she oh he's like perfect yeah lays her down in his bed starts making out with her starts kissing her and keeps telling her you're safe i'm trying so hard not to get mad right now but it's just like we're mad (laughs) we're pissed but we're feeling how they want us to feel Yes, that's definitely what the movie is doing. And also, I I appreciate that it was quickly cut. The second he starts getting lower, she's like, hey, stop. And then she becomes sober and is like, hey, I told you yeah. to stop. And that's where he realizes like, oh, he's been he's been conned. Like he she kind of created this scenario or this night where she's going to trap him into not trap him, but like expose him into being like sexual assaulting her right and that's kind of where that ends right and you see her she has a diary at the end of the night where she keeps a tally of -hmm. all the people so she does this continually you know night after night with different men and she you know changes her appearance in the way that like she knows that certain types of men would be attracted to her in that way so she'll dress really innocently or she'll dress with less clothes um whereas during the day she tends to dress a little bit more with pastel colors a little bit more Uh, covered up very different right the way that she dresses which i thought was very interesting but so that is a very good indication of how you said earlier that there's three movies that we watch and it's like that's that's the first part right Mm -hmm. it's very i was very disappointed because i thought that there would be i don't know he would like she would kill them or i don't know like 
cut off their tongue i wanted something like that to happen so at first i was very upset that she just kind of was like hey you're a shitty yeah. person and then let me write it in my journal exactly and that's where in, at, the, at the time i was like okay this what is this movie doing <laughs> like yeah. is it is it gonna make me angry at things i'm already aware of like especially the scene where it's mclovin <laughs> the the scene where he he's coming off as again another type of nice guy and he's telling he's her doing like, the same thing basically. you're so beautiful without your makeup Ugh, and for some oh reason God. that that scene particularly was like just like just like irked me the wrong way because i then hear so many conversations that men have about women who are obviously wearing a lot of makeup are dressing a certain way and then you have another type of man who's saying well you don't need makeup it's like there you can't win nothing boils my blood more mm -hmm. than men in women's business it doesn't matter if I choose to have hot pink lips and per and purple eyeshadow. Leave me alone. If yeah. I want to do this, I will do this. I do not wear makeup to please you. It's just I wear like, makeup because I want to look fucking hot for myself. It's a constant dismissal of like a person's autonomy. And like, also that I can choose to do this for myself. And their mindset is always that it's for my viewing. Exactly. Yeah. He was like, you know, men don't like that. Guys don't like that. It's like, fuck you, dude. I'm ask? not doing it for you. Ooh, he did. I, I dress up for the little 13-year-old kids. I want them to look at me. The little 13-year-old girls. I want them to look at me and be like, mm -hmm. damn, she's a badass. I want to look like that. Because I was that 13-year-old girl one day looking at them badass women and be like, I want to look like that one day. You look right. amazing. Snap, snap, snap. Snap, snap. I don't do it for you. Right. That that scene particularly irked me just because I was like, they they just do such a good job in grasping these conversations that whatever well-intentioned guy is having, it's just like, they're not hearing the words coming out of their mouth. It, yeah. And also he, oh my God. He also did that thing where he's like, I'm writing a novel about no, you're the not. hardships of being a man. It's like, what hardships, sir? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know everybody goes through things, but it's like... <laughs> specifically about being a man i was just like yeah listen Which, to yourself my dude it's a hot take that this movie does is like they very much put man in one category like yeah. they don't make a point to differentiate between different types of men i mean you see cassie's dad a little bit but then even then he's like why don't you have a boyfriend and yeah so like i think that's a pretty big like risk that they did okay. was kind of so, putting everyone in one group i think actually once you look at the way that the men are cast it kind of um you realize why okay so at the end of the day this story is written by a white woman and it right. has a white cast for the most part mm -hmm. i think there's literally only two people of color in this movie yes so this is so i think that's why she kind of wrote it that way i think it has a lot to do with like the men that she surrounded herself with yeah, and absolutely. by the way that she casted them i'm mm -hmm. assuming that it's white men which is why yeah. this is white cisgendered men, which is, I'm assuming, why this was written the way that it was. But particularly the casting of the men is very interesting. So all of the men that were cast, we have Bo Burnham, um, what, Schmidt, McNu Schmidt oh. from New Girl, McLovin from... Sam Richardson from yeah. Veep. Uh, Chris Lowell. All of these men are t we these are actors that we recognize from t that are typically casted as like the awkward guy like the awkward funny guy or like mm -hmm. these aren't men that we see as like rapist overly, or overly hyper masculine frat like exactly they're not frat boys they're not um i'm sorry they're not fat boys they're not like shady rapists that you think are going to take advantage of you these are mm -hmm. men that ultimately most 
people, most women in particular, are going to feel comfortable around. And that's such a good point that you brought up because this movie never says the word rape at all. Not once. We don't see rape. We don't hear, we, we don't hear rape, which I think is the best right. creative decision the director made. But it does such a good job because this movie's forcing us to look at a reality without actually having to see it, right? Like, we don't have to, like, re-traumatize each other to, like, look at a rape scene to, like, feel sympathy for the character. The rape scene is, like, or any sexual assault scene is by a total stranger who's being very aggressive it's like in an alley it's a very big traumatizing ordeal and this moment or this movie shows the moments the small manipulative ways that it actually is a lot of women's realities so after you see um cassie you know night after night exposing these men you then find out that she is living a trauma over and over again from her friend nina like we mentioned earlier who was in fact raped and then you learn that she dies, and we can kind of assume from the film that yeah. it's by suicide. We're, we're never really told that she's, like, dead. It's just something that you kind right. of have to... Well, I think we're... It's not until, like, the last 30 minutes that right. she says, like, Nina died. Yes. But, but Nina, this whole movie is about another woman's experience than the, than the protagonist, Cassie. Yes. And so that was something that I was really curious about. Um, just that we never hear Nina. We never see her. We never... Like, she never makes herself present in the film. Like, it's almost as if Nina and Cassie are one person acting. Yes. Um, and-, and so we we then um, see that, like, obviously this rape and this trauma has really impacted Cassie's life. Yes, and that's a really good way that this movie talks about the lasting effects on rape, not just on the person that it's committed to, but on the people around them. Cassie is drowning basically in survivor's remorse she wasn't there to be she wasn't Mm -hmm. able to be there for her friend and she lost her friend because of what happened to her yeah she's like repeating the cycle of trauma by exposing these men i think just to have like a sense of control because she's changing the outcome she's changing the story she's changing the narrative of what happened to her friend nina obviously her reliving this every day she gets a very raw feeling when she runs into ryan who turns Mm -hmm. out to be who later becomes her love interest and finds out that he still hangs out with the guy that raped her best friend her best friend and everybody that was involved that night and that causes her to go on this kind of revenge spree and very interesting i want to talk about the revenge for you real quick before we actually talk about what she did i mm-hmm. want to talk about it as a whole i think uh fin- the director Fennell did an amazing job of showing how realistic women would realistically find re- revenge in mm-hmm. a situation like this mm-hmm. uh nina never really uses re- violence until the very end yeah or she doesn't resort to it all of her torture is psychological. Yes, but, so methodical and like, and, and it's so obtainable almost. Like she didn't do anything drastic. Like you said, you we kept thinking like, okay, she's gonna kill the guys that she keeps having these encounter with, but she leaves them with the fear that she could change their entire lives, and mm-hmm. that's that's the entire power she has over them, and just walks away, leaving them having to question forever. And I think that's like. That's what makes this movie amazing, I feel like, as a woman. I just know that, like, I I wish I could do that to men that I'm seeing do shitty things. I want them to get scared. I want them to understand, like, mm-hmm. how their actions are actually really fucked up. So, I, 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 like you said, like, the first time I was very disappointed, but then afterwards I was like, this is 
realistic. This is how it would be done. She's changing the power dynamics. Yes. And this movie does a really good way of exploring how rape culture through women and how Mm -hmm. women are compliant in rape culture yes. and the misogyn- misogyny that women sometimes perpetuate yes. like everyone everyone could get it in this film like she wasn't just targeting the men which i'm so glad you brought up this point because she also held accountable the women of like you were complicit in these things yes for okay so let's start madison yes who's played, played by allison Bree. yes she was she's a very good example of victim blaming she yes ma'am.com she says the line um if you're partying every day and getting fucked up and sleeping around and you come out saying that something more for it yeah something more happened like don't be surprised if people don't believe you like basically saying like crying wolf yeah she's literally said said it's like crying wolf and that's a very real response that women have. Ooh, yeah, my blood is boiling. And ultimately, too, Assy orchestrates a little event or mm-hmm. a situation where Madison is led to believe that she was a victim of sexual assault as well that yes. same night. Uh, Cassie basically gets her drunk and hired some guy to like take her to a room. Right. He didn't rape her, guys. Spoiler no, alert. But she made it so Look that like, so that when Madison woke up, she thought that she was sexually assaulted yes and only then did madison understand what happened to nina and her compliance in yeah. it and what happened there and help cassandra with providing a what was it like a, vid- a, sh- a, a video showing her f- the traumatic event to her friend nina who yes died. and everybody involved like that video showed everything she's naming names like she's coming after these people one by one being like, I'm holding you accountable because no one else will. Right. And, and that's that's what I like about the movie is like every person that she encounters keeps calling her crazy or keeps calling her a psycho or like a sociopath or whatever. I would say that that um, Cassie has like the most clarity out of everyone. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. Let's talk about the Dean. Ooh. I know. Okay. Yeah. So... Cassie said everyone can catch these hands because I'm coming for you next. The so the dean who was pre- who was the dean of the school yes. that happened during her friend Nina's rape. Yes. And that is she the dean is a woman. Mm-hmm. She is played by Connie Britton Britton Britton. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a really good scene in this movie where Cassie and the dean are sitting in her office and she like Basically, Cassie's trying to get her to see, trying to see if the dean still remembers Nina's case, what happened, or even Nina for that fact. And the dean says that she gets one or two allegations a week that she can't take them all seriously. Why would she ruin a guy's life over? We have to give these boys the benefit of the doubt. Which this movie again shows, like how structurally we keep failing women, or like these institutions that are supposed to protect students are in part like enabling the behavior right of course um the movie basically deconstructs the toxic and very real culture of protecting rapists like all the way from the institutional level to very close friends of Mm -hmm. even the victim yes y'all i'm nodding my head you can't see me but i'm just like (laughs) yes yes (laughs) but basically again the dean doesn't take didn't take nina seriously he said she said so mm-hmm. casey cassie casey I, i'm sorry i keep mispronouncing Big her K, name. special k cassie orchestrated a little thing where she basically put made the dean believe that her daughter was 
basically the same thing that happened to nina was about to happen to her daughter she again is like orchestrating a situation that she's letting people feel how she felt or Mm -hmm. how nina felt and only then did the dean understand the 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 severity of what an allegation Mm -hmm. actually is like how it how these boys that she's protecting so much like how much of a threat they actually are and she didn't care about it until it happened to her same thing with alice uh Allison Bree's character, like right. a lot of women, don't believe other women until it's happened to him and that them, and that's a very big flaw and something that should not happen. Yeah, because I definitely at first was like, why is she dunking on the women? Like I initially thought that she would just be going after all the guys that had messed up her friend's life. Um, but yeah, it just like you said, just shows that like we also participate in these things. Um, yes, we are not. Um, free of the blame guys like sometimes us women don't have each other's back and this movie is a really good way of showing that yeah and also just like how much trauma bleeds into your life because you then get to see a glimpse of cassie's home life where she dropped out of medical school she's working at a coffee shop laverne cox is her cool boss Mm -hmm. um her parents are concerned of like you don't do anything with your life you're you're 30 she forgot her own birthday like, yep. she's stuck and frozen in time trying to find justice for her friend. Like, she's even still wearing her half-a-heart best friend necklace mm-hmm. as, like, a 30-year-old adult, you know? And she's just, like, frozen in time. Um, and that's where, like, the next kind of chapter of the movie is, where it feels like a straight-up rom-com. Yeah, that's... <laughs> this This movie blends a lot of different genres, which I freaking love. Yeah. It blends thrillers... It, uh, revenge films, rom-coms. Mm-hmm. It has literally everything. And it's so weird because it, it's encapsulated in like this little bubbly world. Yeah. But the things around them are just not bubbly, which I really love. But let's talk about the rom-com section. Bo Burnham's character, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So we when we first meet him, he's like supposed to be this knight in shining armor that's pulling her away from the lifestyle of like trying to prey on these men at nightclubs, right? And she does yeah. stop. Which I'm glad his character's introduced because this film can easily be really dark and heavy for the, you know, the themes that we're talking about. And he definitely adds, like, a nice, there's a nice wave of, like, dark humor that keeps you on in the film that I think the the writing did a really good job with. Yes, and I especially loved at the end when Cassie realizes that Ryan was also there, witnessed the rape, and laughed about it. So she confronts him about it and how quickly his little nice guy act just, like, turned around. Yeah. They had been dating for so long and then out of nowhere he's like, oh, so now neither of us are going to be doctors, you fucking bitch, or some Mm. shit. Like, like, He was acting out in fear rather than, like, acknowledging what he had been. And he had been a, he had been an accomplice in her, in her rape story. Right. Um, And I think this movie does a really good job of showing how quickly people turn around and it's like, we... We saw we see a respectable doctor who's had a good time. He has his red flags though. Yeah, all sure. the way through. Yeah, but he yeah, he's pursuing her. They go on a date. LOL to Paris Hilton song. Oh my god. That <laughs> that was the longest montage. It was so long ever. They were dancing in the middle of a pharmacy. Like what? I don't get it. What in the La La Land was happening? <laughs> yeah, and then he quickly turns around and changes the story, tells the cops down the line that she she thought he thought that she was gonna hurt herself and stuff all that stuff yeah. which is a really good 
way to show how men will quickly turn around to defend themselves or not even just men like people in general are quickly going to change switch up on someone just to try to defend themselves and prove that they're not as bad a person as they seem to be if he wasn't the one directly causing the action there was no way that he could be a part of it yeah and this movie does a really good job of just showing that it's like you don't have to be the one raping someone else in order to be a bad person or be compliant in it like if you're just sitting around and you're not saying something you are just as bad as a rapist and i felt so bad for cassie because i could feel herself like wanting to be loved wanting to be in a relationship but still having these like traumas and scars following her where she can't let her guard down because she's seeing the pattern of rape culture within every man she's encountering and so she's definitely like allowing herself to be maybe in love with him like even her dad said something to her where she she brought him home for like a first dinner to meet the parents and he said we really miss you nina but got but um oh sorry we really miss nina but we miss you more yeah yeah it was we really miss we really miss nina but god we really missed you yeah that like it's evident to everyone that like she's she feels like she's the only one really still carrying on nina's legacy so after bo burnham's character ryan they're going on dates, and he finds out that she's committing these encounters with men. Like, mm-hmm. he, he catches her out at night trying to take a man home so she can expose him. <laughs> okay, so yeah. let's talk about one of the most interesting interactions that we see in this movie, the meeting with the lawyer, who's played by... I, I, every time I see him, I think of Doc... He plays... It's the actor that plays Doc Ock in the original Spider-Man with uh, Tobey Maguire, I believe. Uh, Alfred Molina. <laughs> Okay, that's all you. That's a Lily fact. That's uh, I guess I yeah, like, Lily fact. Guys. <laughs> yeah, you you know the Spider-Man movies from Tobey Maguire back in the day. The I do, OG? but I don't remember him. He plays Ogog, and I just love that. I don't know why. <laughs> oh God, you guys, we got another sound guy. Sound fact. guy. Real quick, Alfred Molina also plays oh Tevia in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Oh. <laughs> he, guys... he was on Broadway for many years. Oh I actually shit. saw him in New York once. It was great. You, mm. Pleasant. Wow. Pleasant experience. <laughs> great wow. man. Alfred Molina, great man. Well, actually, I actually don't know him that well, so. <laughs> um, but great singer. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was a singer. You guys' lives are changed now. Thank you, Song Guy. We love when Song Guy inputs. Doc Ock sings. Doc Ock sings, Fiddler on the Roof. So, so she meets with the lawyer, Mr. Fiddler on the Roof, who was part of... <laughs> We are meeting with the lawyer who represented Al Monroe's case mm-hmm. when the university, I think, was trying to take, like, uh, a lawsuit or action against him. And the university never took an action against, against him. That was what the whole Dean conversation was about. I think Nina was, specifically. Oh, okay. I misunderstood that then. Yeah, then, so we're seeing the from the group of people that she's following. So she follows Allison Bree, the Dean, and then she meets with the lawyer. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer, again, is another representation of systemic failure where we have lawyers who are constantly representing um, sexual assault or or rapists in cases in the law and how they, too, are complicit in ruining women's lives. Yes, and I actually, I, it made me feel so sad that the only guy that we see, including Ryan who is genuinely remorseful over what happened to Nina happens to be this lawyer. Yeah. He's the only one that feels awful about what happened, awful about his part in it, what he did. And he actually talks about something that's very important and something that we don't hear too often. Mm-hmm. He mentions that 
he got a bonus for every case that was settled out of court. If, Jesus yes, Christ. And they get another bonus if the charges are dropped, that God. they have men that are that their only job is to look through all the women's social media and her life and her history to try to build find a, case a way against, against her. Yes, to build a case against her. And I think that was so heartbreaking to hear just because I know how true that is. Yeah. That, like they got that material from real life events. Yes. And wow. I, I don't want to talk too much about the scene just because it's like, I think this is one of those scenes that you guys have to watch it to see how I thought that this is one of the most powerful scenes in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. One Definitely. of them, obviously not the big, the main one, <laughs> yeah, the big one, the big one. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, and she, so she follows up with him and she's like, he asks her straight up, will you forgive me? Like he is the first person that is acknowledging what he did was wrong, is asking for forgiveness. And I think that's a big breakthrough moment for Cassie's character because you see her break down and have to make a choice of like, are you willing to move forward? Are you willing to let some of this go? Well, this is, I think the first time that she is shown that i mean we see the conversation with nina's mom mrs fisher played by molly shannon or when she's talking to her parents and these would be the main people that are that she's close to that are closely related Mm -hmm. to nina and all of them are just telling her to move on and they're very cold with her and they they just want her to forget it and move on but cassie's going insane because she's like i'm seeing the signs everywhere around me like how likely this is happening to women that not only happened in her own personal life, but, like, the pattern is continuing. Exactly, so... And she's uh, yelling into, like, a void and no one's listening to her. Right, so Alfred Molina's character being the first person to kind of be like, I am sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what happened. I, I need, like, I think that's her... That was kind of, like, her getting a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, shit, someone un- actually understands mm-hmm. the severity of what they did and they're not just trying to dismiss it. It's very sad, like... A taste of, like, what healing would even look like for her. Yes, and not even all of it. Like you said, it's just, like, a a sliver of it. Of someone acknowledging, like, you have had a hard time. People are accountable to this, and, like, you are a good friend to Nina. (laughs) Right. And then from there, we get the closing Yeah, so this feels like the the third part of the movie. So we have, like, the intro, the rom-com, and now this, like, very much intense... Um, like, not even Cabin in the Woods, but just, like, what am I trying to say? <laughs> you want to start that part over? I sure do. Okay. <laughs> so then from there, we get to the third act of this mm. movie, where Nina goes to Al Monroe's bachelor party yes, in she, a Cabin in the Woods. She finds out that he's getting married, and it's just, like, uh, does what we all do where we're like all become Russian hackers and like look him up on Facebook and try to figure out like what's going on in their lives. Right. Well, that's how this whole story, that's how this particular storyline started is that she saw that he was kind of moving on with his life and mm-hmm. like happy and like and getting he's married a, and stuff. He's and, a successful and, doctor. And it's like that's, she just didn't feel like that was fair. Like how is it that Nina's life stopped after this mm-hmm. traumatic event but he was able to kind of forget and move on. Like that just wasn't fair. So that ultimately led her to go to the cabin where he was, be- his bachelor party was being held, dressed as a stripper, right, and pretended to be a stripper, and ultimately, um, you guys drugged all the guys there except yeah. for Al Monroe. Um, she takes him upstairs, and the whole time he's 
even at his own bachelor parties acting like a nice guy of like oh, i didn't ask for a stripper i don't want to my my wife is going to be upset yeah and da, da, da. like i don't want to do anything yeah so she uh takes him upstairs she takes him upstairs she handcuffs him to the headboard for her safety apparently because she was going to do a dance on him and she she claims that in her line of work men get handsy so yeah she wanted to tie him up and then she reveals who she is that she's actually cassie's friend mm-hmm. that nina's friend i mean i am so sorry that she's actually nina's friend well they're they're so in close with each other that like is, it feels like one character yeah exactly so that she's actually nina's friend and he dismisses it like as something that he doesn't even understand the severity of what he did. He's just kind of like, oh, we were kids. We were idiots. Like, that's not And again, it. never says the word rape. Never, never says sex. It's, it's what what happened or what happened or the instance or the circumstance. Like, there's so many euphemisms that his character can't even bear to say the words that he's being accused of. Right. And he's he chalks it up just like all the other characters with we were kids i was like sir you were were having fun she liked it you were in med school you were like at least 23 years old i think you know better than to rape someone but in his eyes he's been conditioned to view as all of his behaviors as acceptable so like unless she was like vehemently like being like no i don't want this and yelling at his face like he doesn't view it as anything less right you know exactly so ultimately the biggest twist of all in this movie are oh yeah protagonist is killed by al he He smothers her to death with a pillow dude i did not see this coming at all i I was was so shook when i saw that scene well okay so originally uh Fennell wrote it. Well, she was thinking about writing it where she kills everybody and she, like, drugs everybody. Mm-hmm. But realistically, that wouldn't happen. Mm-mm. She would be... If she's alone... If she's going alone to a cabin with 20 other men... She's likely... She, in every encounter, she's putting herself in danger. Like, I definitely thought about that throughout the film. I was like, okay, she's bold because easily these men could Over, turn on her yes. and violence could happen. So, exactly. So, it's like writing... I. I love and hate, it's so bittersweet, that she ended up dying, but I think her dying is the most realistic thing to happen because a woman going alone to a cabin with 20 drunk guys and then ending up alone in a room with one... Who... Who could easily overpower her, man. Who like, couldn't reconcile the actions that he had done and it overcame him so much with, I'm sure, of, like, shame and guilt and disappointment that he, like, the only way he can manifest his feelings is to murder her. Like, mm-hmm. how insane... Like what a what a telling thing on like the way that many men feel like they've been conditioned to articulate their feelings or even process their own actions is like through aggression. Yeah, and like her dying at the end, Fennell stated that Cassie's doing exactly what many male protagonists have been doing for years. Like men are allowed to have noble deaths, so women should too. And I think that's actually very important and something that I didn't think about when I first saw this. I was Mm -hmm. really I really wanted like the girl boss, like girl wins at the end with like this big. Because we have to write them that way because we know it doesn't happen in real life. Exactly. So I think Fennell taking the conscious step not to do that mm-hmm. is so, is just makes this movie way more impactful. Right. I was really impressed with the writing throughout this whole film. And Cassie does a really smart thing where she creates a, in, in the event that I disappear, right. package for Ryan, Bo Burnham's character, Mr. Fiddle on the Roof, the lawyer, and the only two characters yeah. i got ryan got text messages from her that kind of 
because the last 10 minutes of this movie get really intense, much like how our podcast just got. <laughs> uh, uh, it gets really intense, but the last messages that she gets, that she sends to Ryan from beyond the grave are a lot bubblier, like cocky almost, which I love. And mm-hmm. it just like establishes the bubblegum personality and aesthetic that this movie has throughout the whole movie. So the package, the package that she sends to Lawyer Fiddler on the Roof is just the video. Yeah, she has all the evidence for Al's character, for Schmidt's character, for Ryan Bo Burnham's character. And anyone who was present in and participated in the rape, this is like the confetti in the sky of like, I have all the evidence, you guys are going down. Right, and, and she, she knew to protect herself because she knew she was putting herself in danger and at risk. And this movie ends at Al's wedding. He gets arrested. Right. And... Which I did want to talk about that. What's up? So I, I mentioned earlier where we see the lawyer, we see the dean, and we talk about these institutions that are failing women. I think it's kind of contradictory in this movie that we have the law enforcement, we have police officers who... <laughs> Liz is excited. Yes! That, that we have, you know, police officers who are coming to, quote, save the day. Right, which is like obviously not the reality which the movie talks about where like women who experience sexual assault or rape are often never protected or avenged by the law. Yeah, so it's very ironic that obviously the ultimate justice was served by the justice system, which is the exact reason and the exact people who failed Cassie and Nina. Right, like the cycle begins again because he could easily get another lawyer, easily get out of... Whatever happens, and it's just like, boom. It's also very sad that ultimately what he was charged with, if you listen to the end of it, was the murder of, of Cassie. But not the rape. Not the rape. And that's just very telling of how mm-hmm. sexual assault and rape isn't really taken too seriously in this sure. in our society. We but make it at, difficult to prove. Exactly. But, you, like, it, it isn't until something else happens, something mm-hmm. worse then that these people are held accountable for maybe the rape but most likely what they did right like so that that that's something that really made me sad that mm-hmm. like ultimately justice was served but it wasn't because of what they did 20 years yeah. ago it was because of something new that happened and the movie ends like as much as you want it to be all of the revenge and all of the effort and energy that she put into creating this whole entire world it it has a, such a dissatisfying ending, but such a realistic ending because at the end of the day, she's dead. Nina was never really justified. She was still raped. And the two women never got to finish film school. And that's... <laughs> film school? No! <laughs> school. Oh, my God. And that's actually very, a very real. And, it show, and it's yeah. one of the main things that this movie shows. It shows that there's no real triumph over trauma. Yeah. And like, that was, that was the reality is that... These two women never finished med school. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. Take a deep breath. Yes. Because that was a lot. That was a lot. We're sorry. (laughs) So enjoy your break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Hello. Okay. I hope you washed your hands after you went to the bathroom during the break because um, COVID cases are going freaking the way back up (laughs) and I'm trying to be alive in the summertime. Yes. Wear your mask. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Be good to your people. Okay, Lily, what's our next segment that we're going into? It's time to do the most important part of our 
podcast. Okay. We are going to be measuring the woman representation. We're starting with the Bechtel test. Big old Becky the Bechtel test. All right, guys. So what is the Bechtel test, you may be asking? The Bechtel, Bechtel test, also known as the Bechtel-Wallace test, was created by feminist cartoonist Alison Bechtel in 1985. It measures whether a form of media has at least two women identifying characters that mm-hmm. speak to each other about something other than a man. So, Miss Karina. Yes, ma'am. Does a promising young woman pass the Bechdel test? I really think it does. It does. It definitely does. That was a gross horn on my own. Yes, so it definitely did. But we, as we've told you time and time and again, the Bechdel test measures for the bare minimum. Right. So that is why we created our very own... Ron Peach's freaking score. Yes, it is expi- inspired <laughs> by existing tests, but yeah. it is ours. We promise. With a, little, with a little Karina Lily sprinkle of spin on it. Yes. So, uh, Karina, what is number one on the Rotten Peach's score? Let's figure out if it, what, pass or fail. Yeah. So we're doing a scoring one out of ten, and our first one is, are the woman characters getting their own narrative arc and story that doesn't support a man? Is she just a prop or does she have her own narrative? She has her own narrative. She is a narrative, baby. Yes. Big old P pass. Sad narrative, but it's still a narrative. (laughs) Yeah. Number two. Do minority characters have fully realized lives with their own desires, not just serve as background characters for white plot lines? So let's think about our minority characters. We got Sam Richardson and Laverne Cox are the only people of color and Laverne is a trans woman. Yes. And, um... That's about it. It's pretty white. Yeah, this is a very white movie, guys. It's a pretty mayo movie. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that one got Lily. Um, my whole point in this podcast is just to make Lily laugh. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she and Sam are in the movie, and that's about it. And they very much are driving the white plot lines. Yeah, so, so it gets an F on that. F. On that bit. So, moving on to number three. Number three. Can the leading woman character be swapped out with a leading man with little to no edits and the narrative still makes sense? I don't think so. Well, mm. it could uh, it could be a story about sexual assault with men because men do experience that. Um, I, I don't think it would have the same... It would be a different story. Right. I, I think so, too. I don't think this movie would really make sense, as is, with no edits mm-hmm. for a man. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a, a fail. A fail. And number four. Number four. Are women identifying characters sexualized without contributing to the plot? This includes the sexualization of underage characters. Uh, it passes that. I don't think it did that at yeah. all. If anything, the sexualization of women is on purpose to show the ways in which women are objectified so i think it was an absolute tool like probably the best that we'll see in a film for a long time right number five does a woman identifying character have a conversation that doesn't revolve around men appearances her social status or her family obligations yes yeah absolutely it definitely does so that passes that bit but our character her whole thing is about what happened to her friend and yeah that's about it she's taking justice for her past um, hit me with the next one. Number six. If there's more than one woman identifying character, are they in competition with each other, hate each other, or are they manipulating each other? Hmm. They are... They're not friends. They're not friends, but she does manipulate Allison Bree's character. Allison Bree's character and the Dean. And the Dean. Though Allison Bree's character does kind of have a 
come to Jesus moment where she realizes that like she actually was you know participating in Nina's um trauma right she does apologize but but um also the woman that we see her talking the most is her boss and she doesn't that's true yeah there is so it passes I think it passes yeah because Laverne's character even though some of her stuff is kind of corny to me She's, yeah, she's very much um, a real person in Cassie's life. Right, and and her mom, and there's not, they, I mean, they have a strained relationship, but yeah. it, I wouldn't say they're, like, manipulating each other or hate each other. Yes. Beautiful brunette, Jennifer Coolidge. I love her. Okay, next one. Number seven. Is there a woman who has a job or task important to the plot and is successful at it and does not drop it for love? Yes. Laverne. She's the manager of the coffee shop. Well, also, and Cassie. Cassie's main, <laughs> Cassie's main plot. Yes, has. that's true. She doesn't drop it for love. She temporarily thought about it, no. but she took it back. She took it back. She so it not. passes. Okay, right. number, number eight. eight. Does the film contain an identifiable LGBTQ plus character who is more than just their sexual orientation, gender identity, and is tied into the plot in a way that their removal would have a significant effect? So we have Laverne's character who, I mean, she is woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's not really necessarily, like she has a whole life. She's a manager of this coffee shop and her gender identity is never in question. Right. Which I appreciate very much. She is a character as much as anybody else is in the character. Right. And without her, I don't think we would have a voice of reason for Cassie. That is true. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I I agree. So Yeah, good old pass. So number nine. Number nine. Are the women characters shot using the male gaze? Full body pans. Full body shots. Full body angles. I want to say that the the male gaze is used throughout the film. But on purpose. Yes. It's it's very much used. Yeah. Which actually you see the male gaze on males. Yes. It's everywhere. It's all over everything. Yeah. So I think... It does get it, so sadly it will. Pa- oh, sorry, yeah, it'll fail. <laughs> it'll fail. We're, we're watching the movie not in Cassie's point of view. We're watching it very much as like a, an outsider. We're part of the audience, so I think definitely, to get a sense of the feeling of what the men are projecting onto women, we do get those right images. So uh, number ten and our final little thingy majiggy. <laughs> did a woman identifying character contribute to the creation and or production of the film at an executive level dude heck yeah yes. we got obviously the director and the writer of the film miss emerald fennell mm, mm, we got mm, a producer mm, margot mm, robbie and i do know that the casting director is mary oop and i cannot read my handwriting <laughs> <laughs> her um, name is mary mary v yeah that's that yeah we got obviously i would the authenticity of the film comes from the point of view and perspective which came from women of course so it's you know when people get to tell their own stories you're always gonna feel that element of truth oh my god we're dropping gems for you guys so our overall peaches score now is a seven out of ten which is very shocking shocking i thought it would be higher i i think so too i thought so too actually i'm i'm a little like whoa about it mm-hmm. i mean it, don't get me wrong it's high 
right i'm i fully anticipate a lot of movies not getting very high scores so props to you yeah. guys it definitely didn't do as good as thelma and louise which i was very shocked about <laughs> but i think it just has a lot to do with like the message that the yeah that definitely. they were trying to do and it's like they had to obviously portray a feeling yeah so I, it makes sense why this is a score yeah absolutely well that's the end of our podcast guys Dude. that's it for us yeah. thanks for sticking along this was probably one of our like most intense movies that we've done so far but we were both so excited to jump on it is an, Os- an Oscar-nominated movie, so maybe in the future we'll do, you know, some more movies that are part of the Best Picture category that's up for an award. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. But as a little um, thank you treat for sticking around so long, we decided to... <gasps> we have a little surprise. We decided to make a Rotten Peaches playlist yeah. for you guys, so you guys can get to know us a little bit better. Yep. Feel us and our vibes through our tunes. Yes. Get you in the mindset before you put on a podcast, run you a bubble bath, play the pod or the podcast and listen to our playlist. Yes. So our playlist is called Rotten Peach Jams. Yes. And it's available on Spotify. We're still trying to figure out how to get it to you guys. Yeah. So if there's nothing there, hold tight. Yeah. <laughs> we'll fix it. But we're going to we're going to get all the nooks and crannies looked out. Uh-huh. today and no doubt i like that <laughs> and uh keep an eye on our instagram we'll be posting when that's up and running yeah write us guys. in let us know what you think of the pod leave a review my oh, god. god please guys rate and review us if you give a really good review we'll say it on the podcast we might we're gonna shout you out um so far it's only been our sound guy and me leaving a review <laughs> <laughs> but like i said i'm gonna write you a freaking valentine if you write a review also like because you don't want to hear your cool little you get to come up with your own username we'll say it on the podcast if yeah it's make it nice. interesting make it spicy make right? it cool um get creative write us a poem and that's reviewing us on apple podcast please and thank you yes yeah we are on apple i know there was some confusion that we were just on spotify we we're also on apple Podcasts. yes and anchor and a lot of google podcasts we're, we're everywhere we're everywhere everywhere you should be all right, Karina, what are we doing next? You guys, we're doing... We're doing freaking the movie Us. Yes. We're so excited. Us. So excited. This is our first creepy film. Spooky, spooky. Lily is expanding horizons for you guys. I hate spooky, but I like this movie, so I, I compromise. Yes, and I love scary movies, so I'm going to start sprinkling them in just to get her warmed up. But yeah, we're doing the movie Us, Jordan Peele. We're super excited. Um, I hope that you tune in the following episode, and we'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Rotten Peaches is produced by Karina Salas, Lilian Zitlalik, and Jorge Hinojosa. Our theme song was created by Sordelo, and our artwork was created by Lilian Zitlalik. All right, y'all. Don't forget to follow us on our Instagram at Pod. And shoot us an email at rottenpeachespod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Thanks for listening.